All right, good morning, everyone. I'm not very good at holding microphones, so I'm hoping this will work and not fall off. Um, so I'm speaking today on Isaiah chapter 55, and as Anthony mentioned, it's a missing episode because we did this um, fantastic series through Isaiah at the end of last year, and um, it was wonderful to read about those seven uh, different prophecies that Isaiah had made. But Isaiah 55, um, I was a little bit disappointed we missed out on that one. And it's actually one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. In fact, I first preached on this passage in 1999. So that's before some of you were born. Um, 1999, um, my family and I had um, gone to Bolivia to work as missionaries with SIM. And we were just back after our first four-year term. And I used this um, passage as my go-to sermon in all of the supporting churches that we visited. Um, but don't worry, um, I don't think anyone would remember back that far. But just in case, I reworked it right from scratch. And so um, I'm hoping that you won't mind hearing a little bit more from this passage in Isaiah. So um, let me just pray as we approach this passage. Our gracious God, we just thank you and praise you for your wonderful word that you have, and especially this word that you have for us in Isaiah. We pray that you'll help us to listen and to hear, to approach you with open hearts, and that I will also speak faithfully from what you're saying to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, supermarkets in Sydney are pretty bland and boring and predictable. Most of the time, they're pretty quiet and clean and orderly, except when they're screaming children or if someone throws up or waters break or something like that. But how much more fun is it to go to a market? My family loves markets. And maybe because for a large part of our time when we worked in South America, we lived right in the middle of the largest farmer's market in the city. It was called the Mercado Campesino. And so we lived um, right where one of the major streets were, where people would park their trucks and unload the trucks. And early in the morning, we would hear people shouting and yelling as they were unloading massive sacks of potatoes, onions, corn, tomatoes, and of course, unloading lots and lots of people and animals. And so just down the road, like a couple of blocks from where we lived, was the covered market. And this was the wet market where you could buy any kind of animal or produce, any part of the animal from the nose to the tail. And um, again, very exciting place, lots of sights and sounds and smells, quite pungent and overpowering. In fact, um, one stage we had a couple of visitors who came to, um, to see what missionary work was like. They came from Victoria. And the husband fainted because of the... Um, I don't know if it was the sights or the smells, but, or a combination of both, but he had to be dragged out to the street for some fresh air. <laughs> so the sounds of a marketplace are deafening and overwhelming, and everyone calls out to you because they want to sell you their wares. They say, papaya, 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 bananas, ice cream, empanadas. Well, when you look at Isaiah 55, and I'm hoping you have this chapter open, you can hear the sound of the marketplace, hear the prophet Isaiah in rich Hebrew poetry, is voicing God's invitation on his behalf. This passage is full of beautiful imagery, poetic parallelism, repetition, symbolism, as God makes a remarkable, unbelievable, astounding offer to his people, an offer that's too good to refuse. And so as you look at this wonderful chapter together, you'll notice that in the first half of the chapter, verses 1 to 7, um, God makes this amazing offer. He calls on his listeners to come, to listen, and to turn to the Lord. And then in the second half of this chapter, verses 8 to 13, God describes his own nature. He describes what he is like. 
he describes himself as the person making this offer. And God's nature, um, his everlasting faithfulness, is the reason why his listeners can trust that this offer is too good to refuse. So let's look at this offer. Um, Firstly, the amazing offer, um, God says, come. In verse 1, he says it four times. Count it. Come, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk. This is a warm and welcoming offer. This is an unrestricted offer. God says this to everyone. Come to all who thirst and hunger. In some cultures, like Persian, sometimes Chinese culture, if someone offers you something, it's a bit rude to accept the first time, right? You have to say no the first couple of times, and then you know, if they keep on insisting, then you can finally accept the offer. Here God is offering four times to come. He really, really wants his listeners to come to him. And so what is God offering here? He says, firstly, come to the waters. Then he says, buy and eat, buy wine and milk. In verse 2, we see what he's offering is good food. It is the richest of fare. It is something that will really satisfy. Unlike the bread that we work for every day, we slave away, we earn, we spend our earnings on things that we think will make us happy and full. Maybe it's food, maybe it's clothes, maybe a shiny new device, maybe a Michael Kors handbag or a kitchen implement. Maybe it's a holiday in Vietnam. But then within too short a time, we feel empty again. But what God is offering here is something that will really quench our thirst and really satisfy our hunger. And this reminds us of what Jesus offers to us in the book of John. John 4, he tells the Samaritan woman at the well, whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. In John chapter 6, Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Remember what Chad was telling us about the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was speaking to the um, original inhabitants of Israel, and you'll remember that chapters 1 to 39 is where Isaiah focuses on God's judgment on his people. They have rejected him, they have trusted in other nations and other gods instead of trusting in God's promises. They have been hypocritical in their religion. They have oppressed others, rampant corruption. And so God foretold through Isaiah that they will be invaded, um, there will be conquests, and they will be exiled as slaves in faraway Babylon. And now in chapters 40 to 66, Isaiah is speaking to those people far away in Babylon. He's comforting them. He's reminding them of God's promises to restore them. He's speaking to people who are hungering and thirsting to return home to the land and to their previous relationship with God. They feel abandoned, empty, impoverished, desolate, guilty, rejected by God. And yet, remarkably, in chapter 55, they hear God saying, Come. Well, whenever someone makes us an offer... We want to know how much, and um, especially if you go to a market like Flemington Market, as the day goes on, you hear the prices dropping as they don't want to take their stuff back home again, and so mandarins might start off at $10 a box, and then by the end of the day, it might be $2 a box, but obviously they're the boxes that no one else wants to take at that stage. 
Well, how much does this amazing offer cost? Well, have a look at verse 1. The price tag here is incredible. What is on offer here is priceless. God says, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. How can you buy something without paying? Only if someone else has already paid for you. And so we sang earlier a song, Man of Sorrows. And Man of Sorrows refers back to Isaiah 53, just a couple of chapters before this one. Man of Sorrows, Lamb of God, by his own betrayed, the sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus laid. And so in Isaiah 53, we read about that enormous price paid by Jesus, the Man of Sorrows. He was innocent, and yet he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And so the only way we can get this amazing offer without cost is if someone else pays for us. And Jesus paid with his life on the cross in order to buy us peace with God. So firstly, Isaiah says, come. And then he says, listen. And so again, whenever someone grabs our attention with an amazing offer, we want to find out the details. We want to lean in and, and find out, well, what exactly is, is this offer about? And so in verses 3 to 5, God gives us more detail. He invites us to give ear, he says, to hear, to incline your ear. And so here is the fine print in um, verses 3 to 5, and it is even more wonderful than you can ever imagine. As we read through verses 3 to 5, we realize that Isaiah is not talking about literal food or literal drink. These are metaphors for salvation, an eternal loving relationship with God. And he says in verse 3, I'm making an everlasting covenant with you that is a binding legal agreement between God and his people. Just as God was faithful to his servant David, so will God continue to love his people with a steadfast and faithful love. He's not just offering them satisfaction instead of emptiness, but he's offering them belonging instead of rejection. And just as God blessed King David as ruler and leader of his peoples, just as David's reign was a witness to other nations of God's faithfulness, in the same way, God will bless all of those who come to him. He will glorify them. He will honor them. He will endow them with splendor. And others will notice in verse 5, Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that do not know you will hasten to you because of the Lord your God the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Sometimes this splendor can seem quite subtle and hard to notice, but during our time as missionaries in Bolivia, we met many humble and faithful servants of God. Some came from Korea, others came from North America, Malaysia, United Kingdom, others were Bolivian, born and bred, but all of them had responded to God's offer to come. They had entered into this eternal, loving, covenant relationship with him through Jesus. And even though they were uncomplicated, simple, humble people mostly, there was some strange, wondrous, blended quality about them. God had endowed them with a warm and loving and caring attitude to those around them. And this attracted the nations. Others would come to them, and gradually, bit by bit, their hearts would be warmed towards Jesus. This is a task of tremendous importance. God's people may feel small and worthless, but God gives them a responsibility 
to summon the nations. One author says the three key needs of people are satisfaction, security, and significance. We might seem that we're all fine and um, self-sufficient on the outside, but sometimes behind the mask, what we're really hungering and thirsting for is, is this, satisfaction maybe, or maybe it's security, or maybe it's significance. And so we, hear, see, we see here that God's amazing invitation offers all three satisfaction and security in our everlasting covenant relationship with Jesus and significance in the task he gives us to be a witness to the nations. So the third thing that Isaiah says in verses 6 to 7 is to turn to the Lord. We've heard the call to come. We've drawn closer to listen, to hear more about it. And now we're interested in getting it. So what do we do next? Even if you've been given a gift card Uh, For Christmas, someone else has paid so that you can buy something for free. We still need instructions on how to redeem it. Does it expire? How do you actually cash it in for what you want? Well, in verses 6 to 7, we get instructions on how to get this amazing offer of eternal life for ourselves. Isaiah says in verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. That is, this offer is for a limited time only. Um, Black Friday, some of you might have been um, indulging during that time. It actually didn't start on Friday. It started a few days beforehand. And it didn't actually finish until it kind of dragged on towards Cyber Monday. But then there was, most of the time, a definite cutoff when you could no longer access this discount. Well, we don't know when our time is going to be up. But Isaiah reminds us, call on him and seek him before it's too late. In verse 7, he clarifies how we can receive this amazing offer. We can't pay for it. We're spiritually bankrupt. We can't earn our salvation. It's a free gift. But what we do have to do is to turn to him, to abandon our sinful habits and thoughts, to turn away from our selfish pride and to throw ourselves upon God's mercy. Sometimes in life, you might find yourself suddenly traversing a narrow and dangerous path like riding a motorcycle on a winding footpath with a cliff on one side and a steep drop-off on the other. We may think we know what we're doing. We may have overconfidence in our ability to balance. But what God is asking us to do is to stop before it's too late, to abandon our trust in ourselves and to throw ourselves upon his mercy, to put our faith in him, to forsake our selfish pride, acknowledge that we've been stumbly going the wrong way, do a three-pointer, and head off along God's way. And when we turn to the Lord, verse 7 reassures us, he will have mercy, he will freely pardon. Well, in verse 8, you see a tiny little word, for. And I think that little word, for, is a kind of hinge of this chapter. It is a turning point where the prophet goes from describing the amazing offer to describing the person making that offer. And as we hear more about God's character and nature, we realize that we can trust him to keep his promises and that this offer is too good to refuse. So many people I've met as patients in my consulting room, um, both in Australia as well as overseas, have chronic symptoms of pain, tiredness, headache, insomnia, stress, depression, anxiety. And as you talk to them in conversation, sometimes we discover adverse events that have affected them 
in the past. One lady I can think of in her 80s is physically fit and strong. She goes to the gym every day for a workout, better than some of us, swims in the local pool. Intellectually, she's got all her memory intact, but emotionally, she's a wreck. I won't go into that long and complicated story involving betrayal and grief and loneliness, rejection by a daughter she had lovingly adopted and cared for, but she now lives alone, bitterly estranged from her daughter and not allowed to see the grandchildren that she longs for. What's a normal human reaction when someone you're close to constantly and repeatedly rejects you, insults you, ignores you, and hurts you? We get angry. We harbor a grudge. We're bitter. We stop talking to them. We break off that relationship. We plot revenge. Surely God's people think that he has rejected them. Their country is burnt out and abandoned as if destroyed by bushfires. They've been captured, enslaved, carted into exile far away, into a foreign and hostile land. They realize that God is rightfully punishing them and distancing himself from them. And then suddenly they hear this unexpected offer. Come, listen, turn to me. Surely this can't be true. Surely they're hearing things. That crackpot Isaiah is dreaming things again. Won't God bear a grudge? Won't he harbor bitter resentment against his people who turned away from him and repeatedly rejected him? Well, in verse 8, God surprisingly says to Isaiah, to us, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is not like us. We would have borne a grudge, nursed the bitterness and hate in our hearts. These mountains are only about 2,000 meters above sea level. But God's ways and thoughts are as high above ours as the heavens are from the earth. If we forsake our evil ways and call on him, Unlike us, he's eager to have mercy on us. If we turn to him in repentance, unlike us, he will abundantly and lavishly pardon. This offer is too good to refuse, because God's ways are not our ways. Well, sometimes we might get a scam email with an offer that is too good to be true, and as soon as we see that, we put it into the bin, or we might report it as a phishing or spear phishing kind of email, um, we're kind of conditioned not to believe offers that are too good to be true, especially when politicians um, make promises. Um, we're kind of conditioned not to believe them, whether they're Bolivian or Vietnamese or Australian or American. Public faith in politicians is down through the floor. There is even a word that describes deceitful, foolish, vain, showy and worthless talk. Trumpery. And yet, a short tweet from Donald about US-China trade can make stock markets rise or crash within minutes. So what about God's words? Can we trust what he says? In verses 2 and 3, God says, Listen, listen to me, give ear and come to me. And now in verses 10 and 11, God reassures us that the word that we are listening to is not trumpery. God's word is powerful and effective. I don't know how Isaiah back in 700 BC knew about the water cycle, that you know water comes down from the sky, as we've been seeing in the past couple of days, soaks into the ground, fills the rivers and dams, evaporates, goes up again, forms clouds. He knew that back in 700 BC. Someone intelligent and wise and sovereign must have told him. 
But in verses 10 and 11, he says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire. Over the past couple of days, we've seen on TV overjoyed farmers dancing in the rain that finally fell because they know that the rain waters the earth and makes it flourish. In the same way, Vietnamese farmers are confident that the water in their paddy fields will surely accomplish its purpose to make the rice germinate and sprout. In the same way, God's word is powerful and effective. God's word accomplishes its purposes. With his word, God created the heavens and the earth. The Apostle John says, In the beginning was the word, referring to Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Of course we can trust in this wonderful offer, because God's word will achieve its purpose. It is powerful and active, and the essence of its very nature. Well, going down to the end of the chapter, verses 12 and 13, Isaiah finishes his prophecy with joyful imagery. Here he's looking forward to the time of the return of Israel from exile. He says in verse 12, You will go out with joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Just imagine the joy and the laughter and the celebration as the people of Israel threw off their bondage in Babylon and finally started their trek back to their home. But then the last verse, chapter 13, looks even beyond this return from Israel. It looks beyond this to the very redemption of all creation. You remember when Adam and Eve believed the serpent and rejected God in Genesis 3? Sin came into the world. And God said to Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. But now in verse 13... God's faithful and powerful and effective word promises instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. Is God speaking speaking metaphorically here? Is this part of that rich poetic imagery that Isaiah uses? Well, I believe not. Notice that last sentence. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will not be destroyed. God is promising to reverse the curse brought upon the world. Instead of a thorny, arid, desolate, contaminated world, there will be a new creation. In Revelation 21, God describes this creation. He talks about a new heaven and a new earth. He says there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. In Revelation 21:4, he says the old order of things has passed away. And so, like Isaiah, like those captives in Babylon, we are looking forward to this new creation without thorns or pain or death or mourning. And this new creation will be an everlasting sign that testifies to God's faithful and merciful and unbelievably gracious and forgiving nature. God's ways are higher than ours. God's word is powerful and effective. God is faithful to his people. He keeps his promises. And this new creation will be an everlasting sign to his goodness. Well, in Revelation 21, verse 6, Jesus says, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost.
from the spring of the water of life. How are you feeling today? Are you feeling spiritually thirsty or hungry or longing to be satisfied? Are you craving security and significance in your life? Then come. Isaiah 55 makes an amazing offer from God, an offer too good to refuse. If we come to Jesus, we will go out in joy. If we listen to him, we will hear his powerful and effective word that achieves its purpose. If we turn to the Lord, forsaking our own ways, he will have mercy and freely pardon us because his ways are not like our ways. If you have heard this wonderful offer and would like to know more about it, you might have some more questions in your mind, then come and any one of us would be glad to answer your questions at the end of the service. But maybe others of us have already accepted this wonderful offer. Maybe like me, you're in awe of the images of God's wonderful grace and forgiveness and loving faithfulness that we have heard about today in this passage. Then he has already endowed us with splendor. He will use us to summon the nations from the people who are milling around us. They may appear appear confident and self-sufficient, but behind the mask they might be thirsting and craving for anything at all that offers satisfaction and security and significance. Let us ask God for boldness as we enter that marketplace of ideas, sometimes noisy and hostile as everyone shouts their own opinions. Let us ask him for strength and grace through his powerful Holy Spirit so that we can humbly and lovingly share this wonderful offer with those around us. The music team is going to come up now. And so join with me as we sing, How Great is Our God, a song that worships the splendor of our King and the greatness of our God who makes us this amazing offer, an offer too good to refuse.